If you will join with me this morning by opening your Bibles to Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, as we continue our study through the greatest sermon ever preached, not the ones that I'm doing, but the one that we are studying, the Sermon on the Mount, the words of Jesus Christ spoken to his disciples in the presence of his of, of the people the multitudes that were there that gave instruction with regards to the kingdom life the way that the kingdom life is to be lived you know i uh, i've noticed things have changed in the, in the world today last week sue and i were out at a pizza place. Now, it used to be you go in, you'd sit down at the pizza place, and you'd have the red plaid tablecloths, and you'd order from a menu, and that kind of thing. That ain't the way they do pizza nowadays. Uh, you go, at least where we were at, you go up there, and you go through the line, and they just make the pizza there in front of you, and put it in this oven that it is carried through on a on a conveyor belt and comes out the other side. It's faster. It's good, good food. But I noticed something as I was in line. We were in line behind people and watching them order what they wanted on their pizza. And you know what I found out? They did it all wrong. <laughs> they had food in that tray up there, vegetables and meats and things like that that I thought to myself, why in the world would anyone want that stuff on a pizza? But they would go through. They had different kinds of sauce. I mean, God made red sauce, not the white stuff. <laughs> okay, I, I, I'm just saying that, that I got up there and I said, now I'm going to show you how a pizza is supposed to be built. And I could see people looking at what I was having on my pizza, and they would say, Ugh. You know what I found out? People are different. People sometimes are so different that they are difficult to be around. Now, I don't want anybody to raise their hands, especially if your wife or your husband is sitting anywhere nearby. But have you noticed, have you, do you have people in your life that are difficult to be around? that are hard to live with, that are hard to, you're, you can say this, your family's not here. Uh, <laughs> David raised his hand. Yeah, I, I, I'm not, and I'm not talking about the people you're sitting around in church. They're real lazy. But I'm talking about how, how uh, difficult it is to be around people. I mean, really. And when it comes, when, we, when it comes to living the Christian life or kingdom living in this world, the hardest thing for me, the hardest thing about that is not the difficulty because I want to kill someone. That's what Jesus spoke about a couple of Sundays ago, or at least we spoke about what Jesus talked about, uh, not committing murder. I don't struggle with, with committing adultery. But I do struggle with people. I do struggle with others who do things differently than I would or than I do 
or people that inconvenience me and want me to do something for them their way, you can, you can fill in the blank. And so today I want, to, I want us to look, about, look at this issue of living the Christian life on a daily basis. I've titled this section of the Sermon on the Mount, Matters of the Heart. And today I'm going to give you the third part. I know I told you it was a two-part message. We're going to get a third part because I realize this is just a continuation of thought that, that Jesus had with regards to living the Christian life in this difficult world. Have you noticed that Jesus raised the standards for, li for kingdom living over the standards for just everyday living? He says, you shall not do murder. He says, but I tell you, if you just have anger in your heart towards someone, that's when, it, that's when Jesus quit preaching and going to Midland, didn't he? Or he said that you, uh, you shall not, you've heard it said you should not commit adultery. I'm telling you, if you just have lust in your heart, you're guilty of adultery. Now Jesus is going to talk to us about how your heart should be toward those people toward the world around you. Have you noticed that entire television networks have been created so you won't have to listen to people you don't agree with? Hello? Am I, is that true? We want to hear, we want what we want to hear and anything else we'll just stick our fingers in the air and say, nana, nana, nana. We're not interested in these because they're different. They're other I got news for you. As long as you're intaking and exhausting air, you're going to be living around people. People are going to be around, and people, by definition, are different than you in some way, in some regard. You, you'll find some people that you have something in common with. But overall, you stay around them long enough. You'll encounter somewhere where they're different, and you'll say to yourself something like this, I knew it. I knew they were oddballs. So let's talk about how do we live this life, everyday Christian living, when you're living every day with people. Now, I guess I probably, as I'm saying this, ought to give a, a little bit of a disclaimer. And that is, I'm not against people. I love you. I really do. I, I, it's just, what it is, is I've learned how to put on my Sunday morning best. <coughs> Hello? I've learned how to put on my, and I'm not talking about my clothes. I'm talking about how to, on the outside, to live this way. But remember, kingdom living is a matter of the heart. It's what you're doing with regards to other people in your heart. And so how do we live every day these kinds of things out when, um, when every day there are people that make it difficult? Well, let's look at what Jesus had to say. You'll notice that our text that we're going to read from is, is found in Matthew chapter 5 and down through uh, uh, verse 33, down through verse 48. Will you follow along with me as I, as I read? And again, we're reading the very words, every one of them, from Jesus. Okay? 
Again, you've heard it said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for that's God's throne, nor by earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your yes be yes, and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. And you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. Whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you. And from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. You've heard it said, you shall love your enemy or your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. So that, in, that uh, you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? Uh, Therefore, you shall be perfect. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, skip the verse. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, these are, I've got to be honest with you and tell you that at least from the superficial reading of that text and hearing what Jesus was talking about, a lot of this is contextual to his day, okay? A, a, a lot of the things that were going on were things that were going on in his day and even further back with him. For instance, the idea of swearing oaths on God or swearing oaths on one's head you know, or, or by the city of Jerusalem or whatever. Those are things that are not issues that we, that we contemporarily deal with. However, the truth that is being presented here is very, very meaningful and are practical for this day. So I want to I talk about them uh, and, and share with you what they have to do with your life and how you live your life with people around you that make it difficult. First... Speak the truth. Tell the truth. Speak the truth and tell the truth. Now, it, it, it was, uh, and I skipped over a verse that I noticed that when you, when you uh, 
You may have seen it flash on the screen. Remember Jesus' comparison, or Jesus is contrasting the way you live in your righteousness with the way that the Pharisees and the religious leaders were telling you they live. If you are not more righteous than the Pharisees, then you're doing it wrong. Now, that doesn't mean much to us, because I think we think of Pharisees as legalists. But in their culture, in their day, they saw the Pharisees as the supreme moral beings on the planet. They, they were so careful and so devout in their faith <clears throat> that they did everything down to the minutest of details in trying to keep the law. And it, it was such a high standard to be a Pharisee, there were very few of them around. It wasn't like everybody was a Pharisee because they were good people. Oftentimes, I'm a good people. Oftentimes, you're a good people, but not often enough to measure up to the standards of the Pharisees. Josephus, the Hebrew or the uh, Jewish historian contemporary at this time, said there never were that many, never in the life of Israel, more than 10,000 people who ever aspired and ever achieved the, the uh, accomplishment of being called a Pharisee. But then he goes on and he says, but everyone wished they could. Now, what I'm saying by that, what he's saying by that is, there aren't that many, but I wish that I could be like them. So therefore, they are the, the ones that we are to aspire to. Jesus says, if that's as good as you want to be, as good as the Pharisees are, you're not going to ever enter into the kingdom of heaven. You've got, your standard has to be higher. And so he says, <clears throat> first of all, speak the truth. And I put this word, always speak the truth always speak the truth look what it's what it says um, in uh, in Matthew chapter 5 uh, well, you're there Matthew chapter 5 verse in verse 33 he says you've heard it said of old that you shall not swear falsely shall not swear falsely um, but you shall perform your oaths to the Lord the Old Testament, the Old Testament law gave instruction that you weren't to swear an oath except to the Lord. Okay? Now, what, what does that have to do with, with us? Uh, uh, well, we, we use terminologies all the time that indicate we, we struggle in this area, too. And that is, we say something. Now, I want to tell you the truth here. And what I'm saying I mean is the truth here. I swear to God, or I swear on a stack of Bibles, or I swear on my mama's grave. And I, what I'm looking for is having something to say, I'm telling you the truth, so help me God that this is what it is, and I'm going to find something greater than I am so you'll believe me. Here's our problem. In our world today, a person's word that used to be his bond isn't always so isn't always so any longer. Somebody will speak quite frequently and you just know they're lying. Am I right? And he says what you should do is the law says swear by God. 
And then, okay, well, I'll believe you then. But what he's saying is, look at verse 37. Don't swear by God. Don't swear by the city. Don't swear on your mama's grave. Whatever you say, let yes mean yes and no mean no. Well, wouldn't it be a different world to live in if everything that everyone said was absolute truth? Absolutely true all the time. You could take it to the bank. You could trust it. He says you should live your life in such a way that you don't have to swear oaths. <clears throat> because I'm not a real cultured person. I remember an episode of the Beverly Hillbillies that I watch. Okay, well that's, that's as high a class as I get. And Jed Clampett went into the courtroom, was, was, it, had, uh, was in this courtroom in this story, and he got up and the, the, they wanted to give him the, the uh, oath, you know, put his hand on the Bible, and, and Granny says, he doesn't need to swear on the Bible, whatever he says is true. That's the way we all ought to be, shouldn't we? We all ought to be that we don't have to swear on oath. Let whatever you say be true. Be somebody that doesn't have to talk about other people to lower them below your level. Don't tell people things that aren't true that make you out to be a liar. On the outside, it looks good. You ever, you ever boast on yourself a little bit? On the outside, it looks good, but it makes you say, makes the people around you say, well, I wonder really if that's true or not. Speak the truth always. Um, Jesus is referring to the tradition of swearing on something um, that's greater than them so you'll believe it. We should be believable, shouldn't we? All the time, uh, we should be believable. Old Testament law says that if you swear an oath, do, do so only on God's name because it's the only thing with true meaning. And keep that oath because God will visit wrath upon you if you break it. But here Jesus is showing how that, that statement or that truth or how the law is transformed into the New Testament age. He's saying don't swear at all. Instead become a person, be a person that doesn't have to swear to be believed. So 100% of the time, without taking an oath, be absolutely truthful. Unless the person, unless your wife asks you, does this dress make me look bad? Don't answer that one truthfully. Just a joke. Let me show, show you number two that Jesus is talking to us about. And that is to eliminate vengeance. To eliminate vengeance. Jesus said in Matthew 5.38, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. We all know what that means, don't we? You do something, you need to receive justice. And justice is whatever you did to me, I get to do to you. Isn't that kind of what, what an eye for an eye and truth for truth means? And, and the problem is that with 
this kind of eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, it can develop into a vengeful spirit. Now, I, I wish I had time today to kind of go back to this, to the days in the Old Testament in the, in the law when there was a, a blood avenger. Say, say someone in your family was murdered. The law allowed for a blood avenger to go out and murder that person. Now, they would prefer that the law would prefer that you, uh, uh, that that person have a trial and be dealt with in a just manner by trial. But it was okay for a blood avenger of the family to go and avenge what somebody else had done unjustly to a person in their family. Now, I'm over simplifying it, but that's the idea. And so in the law, there were established cities of refuge where a person who accidentally had killed somebody can flee to and be protected from the blood avenger. And while there, they would be put on trial, and if the trial indicated that they were guilty of murder, that the law then would run its course. This has with it the whole idea of vengeance, doesn't it? And when someone wrongs you, someone says something about you or to you, abuses you in some way, don't we sometimes have the right, feel that we have the right to avenge whatever wrong has been done to us? You know, living amongst people, that probably comes up quite a little bit. That's why we have a problem in our day and age with road rage. Somebody gets on the highway and cuts me off. Watch this. And eventually, unfortunately, way too often it ends up with a shooting or somebody dead or somebody run off the road because vengeance is such a strong attitude. Uh, Jesus said, someone comes along and slaps you on the cheek, show him your other cheek. Now, being slapped on the cheek is a euphemism for being insulted. You know, the uh, when there would be a, uh, a duel that was being fought in the, in, in the old days with a sword, oftentimes the person who was uh, offended would come up with their glove and slap the other person on the face with their glove. That was, that was to make there be an insult which would make it more palatable now to kill the other person. Vengeance can be a powerful, powerful thing in our lives. Now, I don't have vengeance in my heart. Do you? Somebody does me wrong. I don't get mad. I get even. Yep, that's vengeance, isn't it? I want somebody to hurt because you've hurt me. The natural reaction to someone hurting you deeply is to hurt them deeply in return. Even better, to injure them greater than you injured me. Now you can imagine if this is the attitude of our world around us. You, you do this to me, I'm going to do this to you, and I'm going to go back and do this to you, and pretty soon we have wars that come about because we have 
offended somebody and have determined that what we have to do about it is to binge for it, to be vengeful. Some Christians have wrongly become doormats for anyone that wants to abuse them, and that's not what this is teaching. But it is something that we have to learn how to get over being offended without going out and causing a greater offense. You know that you are probably angry with somebody or offended by somebody and they don't have a clue that you're offended by them. You know, there are some people that will say something to you and get you mad, fighting mad, and they don't even know that you're fighting mad. And they don't know that you're fighting mad at them. But that's what vengeance does. An insult, a wrong, whatever it may be, that doesn't mean you take it. That doesn't mean you don't defend oneself, but it makes sure that your defense is is the same way that God would defend himself. Uh Uh-oh, there's the standard being raised again, isn't it? Somebody wrongs me. Somebody doesn't like me. I'm going to love them like God does me. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Jesus says, don't live life like that. Don't live life like that. Eliminate vengeance from your life. Thirdly, third truth. In verses 40, 41, 42, Jesus says you need to demonstrate love. Demonstrate love. If someone comes along and wants to sue you to take your your cloak, your coat, let him take your shirt. But he used the word tunic in your cloak. Don't just give him what he asks for. Go beyond that. If, If found guilty in a civil matter, The court could take most belongings, but could not take one's coat. It was a practical thing to keep from completely impoverishing someone that would would result in them freezing to death. So one of the ways that you can do that is, one of the ways that you can, um, if you're being sued, don't just give him your suit, your shirt, give him your coat, your cloak. That, you know what that's going to do? That's going to make you feel uncomfortable, isn't it? But he says, demonstrate love with your comfort. Demonstrate love with your comfort. Jesus said that if someone has a legal claim over you, that you should make it right completely. If you had to sell your coat to be able to pay the debt, do it. This would at least show that you have remorse for the damage that you caused. Remember, because he does say it's if someone sues you, that means there's been some sort of wrong, a, a, a commitment not fulfilled, whatever it may be. Demonstrate love with your comfort. Secondly, secondly, demonstrate love with your time. Jesus says in verse 41, if someone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. 
In their day, Roman soldiers had a legal right that the law put in that they could, they could force a civilian to carry their bags, their, their backpack, their gear, their, the things that, that their shield, their sword, all of those things. They could compel someone to carry the load for a mile in order to relieve that soldier of the burden of carrying it himself. And if you were a civilian that was compelled to do that, you had no recourse. You had to go with that soldier for a mile. Well, what, what if I had, I was on my way to the grocery store. You just got outbid. The soldier could compel you to do this and it could, it could cause a great burden on your back. Uh, and I can guarantee you that if, uh, if that is what happens to you, you're going to resent that soldier. The, the Jews already had problems with the Roman soldiers being all around. This was just one more reason. And it's going to, call, it's going to get them angry and resentful and upset. And Jesus has given a practical example here of a spiritual truth. When someone comes with you that's a burden to you, especially another believer, the spirit of the law is that you help them shoulder their burdens even more than they asked. If somebody is starving, and we have people like that today, and they come and they ask you for a slice of bread, go ahead and make them a peanut butter sandwich. That's kind of the idea. Go beyond what you have to do. He says, if they compel you to go a mile, go too. Well, that's going to take twice as long, at least, to go that second mile, isn't it? This is what this is doing is, it's showing love for them that God has shown for us. You ever notice how much God puts up with me? Notice how I, how I turned that at the end by saying me. You probably haven't, but I have. God puts up with a lot from me. And he goes beyond what I ask him to do. God, make me do this, and he'll, he'll give me something that's bigger and better and greater than I even thought about asking for. God, God is good not because I deserve that, but because of who he is. That's the way that we are to live our lives with the demands of others around. It may be, it may inconvenience you. It may use up your time that you had, that, that you were going to use for something else. But have the attitude of showing love for people, the same love that God has shown for us. Do that with your comfort. Do that with your time. Do that with your resources. Verse 42, he says, give to him who asks you. Don't turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. Here Jesus is just simply saying, don't be stingy. Don't be stingy with what you have. Then uh, if you have much, you are responsible for being generous with what God has blessed you. 
You know what Jesus is trying to tell us in all three of these examples? And they are just three examples. He's saying to us that we should demonstrate loving others that may not always be so lovable. Love looks beyond one's comfort and desires to meet the needs of a brother. That should be our attitude. Demonstrate love. Fourth, imitate the Lord to others. Verses 43 to 48. He says, love your he says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor. He says, hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Kind of like, Jesus, have you, are you new here? I mean, these people that are doing me wrong, and keep on doing me wrong and inconvenience me and troubling me and all of these things, uh, you're telling me to pray for them? Okay, I'll pray for them, but I don't have to like it. And Jesus would say, yes, you do. If you're going to live the kingdom life around people, you're going to have to do these things. Forgive them. Pray for them. Uh, do good things to those who... who want to see your demise um, pray for those that spitefully use you those who persecute you the Old Testament law commanded God's people to love their neighbor several times in the pages of scripture you will see Jesus taking this principle out and putting it in real life for instance you remember the story of the, of the parable of the Good Samaritan about all the religious people that came by this man who fell amongst the thieves and the, on the road from Jericho to Jerusalem. And no one helped him except for the one person in the world that should have never helped him. I mean, by the law, laws of this world, a Samaritan. And a Samaritan helped him, bound his wounds, took him into town, put him into a hotel, paid all of his expenses and all of these things. He wasn't responsible. What he was doing was he was being neighborly. That whole story was in a response to a question one of the disciples asked that said, who's my neighbor? Well, obviously, who my neighbor is is that next door neighbor that I really like getting together for barbecues with. But then Jesus' story talks about the Samaritan that comes along. Probably this man that was, if this were a true story, this man that lay beaten on the ground may have even thought, take your hands off me. I don't want, you, I don't want a Samaritan helping me. Because that's the way that they acted toward one another. He's saying, do good to them. Be kind to them. Uh, be loving to them. But they're my enemy. Can you think of someone who's your enemy? Let me tell you, um, I hesitate to, dealt, to tell this about my granddaughter. But my granddaughter was, a couple of weeks ago, was in the room when the news was on about, and I don't even remember what the event was, 
but all of us were frustrated and we were talking about how this always happens, whatever the event story was. And Ruby was in the room and she looked up and said, is he our enemy? And then we tried the quick dodge, you know, trying to cover our steps, you know. But, oh, no, he's not our enemy. He's just doing things we don't like. Hmm, how's that different from an enemy? Do you have an arch enemy? Are you like a superhero that has some anti-antithesis to you that is your arch enemy? And you think of someone like that? Jesus says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. I'm telling you to love your enemies. That's Now, this is where it really starts getting hard, isn't it? I can love people out in the world that are different from me, that think differently from me, that I'm probably after today never going to see again. I can love those people. But most of my enemies live in the same town, in the same area, and are in the same family that I'm in. And they're people that, that I'm going to see often enough that their enemy status is really going to bug me. Love those people? Jesus says yes. Now let me tell you why. I've got four reasons I just would suggest to you why you should love your enemies. Number one, if you show love to your enemy, their heart may be softened to the point where they no longer are your enemy. Wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, come on, you're in church. Wouldn't that be awesome if the person that you can't stand to be around because you are kind and loving to them become the people you want to be around? Because of your love to them, it might be life-changing to them. Not only would they stop doing whatever enemies do to you, but now they would be somebody who would be an enjoyment to you, a benefit to you. Secondly, another reason why you should, you should uh, uh, love your enemies is that it, because God shows mercy and love to all, even those who hate him. God, be like him. Be like God. God loves people who are his enemies because, and, and here's where this hits home. This is where this is personal with regards to you. You used to be his enemy, according to Romans chapter 5. We were enemies of God, alienated and separated from him because of our sin. All of us were in this place. And what did God do? Well, God sat on his throne room and said, you just, you just see how you can live without me. Let's just make life miserable for you. Where's that bucket of lightning bolts? God loved us as enemies of his. And he showed mercy to us. And he showed poor grace out upon us. And even though we hated him, he did this. Now, what should you do with your enemies? Answer, be like God. Show love and mercy to them. That's why you should, you should uh, love your enemies. Thirdly, even lost people know how to love those that love themselves. Okay? 
Everybody knows how to love somebody that loves them. Kingdom living requires a higher standard. And that is that I learn to love people not because they love me, but because they don't. And I'm going to love them and pour out mercy and grace on them so that they can see uh, the compassion of my heart and, and no longer be my enemy. And so they also can see me being God to them or God-like to them and, and, and start living to where we're not just loving people who are like us. We're not just loving people who have the same denominationalism as we have. Or we're not just loving people who cheer for the chiefs or who vote this particular ticket. But we're loving everyone, uh, not just the ones that love us back. You see, if we're ever going to get above the fray, above the crowd, we're going to have to start doing this one. Loving people who don't love them because that's the standard that kingdom living requires. Fourth, why should you love your enemies? Because God desires to transform us. God desires to make us perfect, complete, and lacking nothing. You know what we, what we tend to do? We want God to change them. Oops. Did I step on someone's toes? All these people that are living around us that are not uh, living life the right way, not putting the right stuff on their pizza. We want them to change to be like us. You know what God's working on? He's working on them, but he's also working on you. And that's the one that, that we should be praying for God to change. Not them, but to change us. And that's what God's doing. He's constantly working us, working on us to make us more like his son, Jesus. So what we see, is once again, is that Jesus has changed the motivation for keeping the commandments from demanded obedience to keep them, but rather to keep them out of a motivation of love. God doesn't just want us to do these things because they're the right things to do, and you, otherwise you're going to have to go to church and repent. He's not concerned... God is not so concerned with building a facade around us of a certain lifestyle that we're really good people that dot the I's and cross the T's. God wants to change us into the image of his son, Jesus. In fact, that's, that's the whole purpose of life. Between the time you are, uh, you are justified or made right with God, the time when you ask Jesus Christ into your life, until the time you get to go to heaven, what God is doing is he's working to make you like Jesus. And as long, and I think that God just kind of throws the people into the, into the fray of our life because that's one of the ways that he makes us like Jesus. We learn to love our enemies. 
we learn how to how to uh, to give to others from what they need, from what we have. Everyday Christian living. Now, as I have done with uh, with all of these sermons that I've shared from Sermon on the Mount, I want I want to give you a key, a key to kingdom life. Something that what. What's the golden thread? Let's sum it all up, what we've talked about today. Here's what the kingdom, uh, the key to the kingdom is for today. Living life in this world with others can be difficult. Let's just, let's just be honest and say that can be difficult. It's, don't do this because it's easy. Do it because it's not. And since that's true, Love people from your heart as God loves you with his. These people that are out there all around doing it wrong, love them the same way God loves you, and you will be a long way toward kingdom living in the here and now. I want you to bow your head with me if you will, please. In just a moment, we are going to sing together a, a, a closing uh, song. And it will be an opportunity for you to ask God to do this work in your heart, in your life. If you're here today and you, you need some help with that, and you, may, you may just need to pray about that. You may need to just, you can just kneel there in the, at the chair where you're seated. Or you've gone to the steps of this platform. Do business with God. In your home, you can just ask God to change your heart and make you like Jesus. And I just invite you and encourage you to make that commitment today. Pray with me. Father, thank you so much that you love us. In spite of all the awkward, difficult, painful things that we do to you, Teach us, Father, how to live that same way with others around us so that we can make an impact on their lives and so that you will make a greater impact on ours. So, Lord, as we, as we sing today, may this be our, the expression of our hearts today. Have your way in every heart, I ask, in Jesus' name.